Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, we, are, we are excited to, to jump back in here. So we finished up 1 Peter, chosen, living in, as exiles. And uh, we learned a lot. The theme, really, of 1 Peter is suffering, walking through difficult times. How many know we need, uh, we need the Lord in this day and age on the topic of suffering? Yeah. How many are walking through difficult times right now? Yeah, I mean, we can be transparent with each other. It's okay. We, we walk through difficult times. It's part of the Christian life. And so that theme, uh, Peter really uh, portraying that in 1 Peter and thinking about the context. I mean, you, you have uh, an apostle here that, that is probably in one of the most difficult times serving under uh, Nero. Nero was not a good guy. Uh, the, the Christians were being persecuted. They were going through some uh, incredible circumstances. And we see them remaining faithful. Uh, and also, one thing I want to point out is Peter, the, these books, it's accepted that largely these books are written to Gentiles. Um, so you have the Jewish believers, how it first, the gospel first came by, uh, and then we see a transition really from the day of Pentecost where the gospel is not just for one specific people group, but it is for all people groups, it is for all nations. The, the point is, is he is really, Peter was exclusive really to the Jews, and we see that he was preaching that, and I mean, even the law. When I, when I say the law, I'm talking about uh, how the Jewish people lived, kosher type things, right? Uh, and he was enforcing that onto Gentile believers, people that were not Jewish. And Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was the one to take the gospel to those that were not Jews. But here's what we see, and this is what I love. This is the end of Peter's life. This is the, the, the end of his ministry, if you will. And we're going to see him sharing, and it is widely accepted that these books are to Gentile believers. Uh, it, it is, I think it's just to me, it's very heartwarming to see how Peter has a change of heart. Uh, if you remember in the book of Acts, and this is just all just stuff, you know, background about the books and, and who the author is. You know what I mean? The apostle Peter, the one who stepped out on the boat, uh, he's the first one to jump. Uh, even when his faith is, is not quite there, he, he makes a decision before he's prepared, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and it's funny because the Lord gave him a vision uh, to go speak to Cornelius, who was a Gentile man, uh, not a Jew. And, and the Lord gave him a vision of, of you know, the, the unclean animals coming down, and he told Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, that's unclean, that's against my, my diet. You know, and, and, and the Lord says, don't, don't say what I have called clean, don't you call it unclean. This plan here, this life here that I have for you to live, this influence that I've given you, it's mine that I'm giving you to steward, so don't usurp authority over it. And so it's, it's really refreshing to me to see that people change. Inside the text, what Peter once claimed, and I mean, remember, he denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion. And then in his, in his ministry, he was just to the Jews, and he would make Gentiles uh, only eat kosher meats, you know, that kind of thing, right, for sake of illustration. And then here we are at the end of his ministry. Second Peter is the end of his life. 
He's getting ready to die, and he says that in the text. And, and we see here a man that has a different heart, a different perspective, a different spirit, a different tone. And so 1 Peter really, uh, as we finished it up, it's a message to Christians, Gentile Christians, living in suffering. Peter's going out to them, and he's saying, listen, we are a part of a family. The Lord has begun a work in you. And, and he uses words, language like this, to the chosen living, living as exiles. He uses language, uh, you're a royal priesthood. You're a part of the family of God, right? And, and he's, he's bringing this whole thing together. Um, but if I were to define 2 Peter, right, it's, it's going to be three weeks worth of messages this week, next week, and the week after. Uh, I, would, I would say it this way. I would title the message uh, today, What Good Looks Like. What, what Good Looks Like. And, and what I mean by that is, First Peter is like, look, you're chosen. You're a part of what God's doing. You're in the family of God. Now that, you're, now that you understand that you're in the family of God, now that you understand that God has, has gloriously saved you and paved the way and he has sacrificed, let me explain to you how to live in this life. Let, let me explain to you, thank you so much. Let me explain to you how much this coffee means to me right now. It means a lot, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, so, so really, it's, it's more like, if you're going to do this thing, and if you're going to be in the faith, let me show you how to do it rightly. Let, let me show you how to, how to do this thing well. So chapter one is uh, what good looks like, and it's right there in your program. Chapter one, what good looks like. Chapter two, next week, will be what good doesn't look like. He addresses false teachers specifically. And you know, Paul, Paul did not shy away from naming names. <laughs> I mean, he didn't. I mean, we're, we're talking about a, everybody's like, oh, God's grace and love everyone. Okay, yeah, that's true. Uh, but when it comes to people who are teaching falsely, uh, the Bible says separate from them. Rightly divide, right? Uh, so, so we find this understanding that there are false teachers in the world. And if you haven't uh, come to this place in your Christian walk where you're challenged by some of the other winds of doctrine that are out there, if you haven't yet, you will. We all encounter those in our walk, in our faith, where we hear enough of the truth that it's enticing, but in there is, in there is lies, in there is deception. The, the enemy always uses truth and then twists it. He starts with something that is right and then perverts it to something that it is not. So Paul addresses that, or I'm sorry, Peter addresses that specifically, and so did Paul. So next week is what good doesn't look like, addressing false teachers. Chapter three is the timing of doing good. Peter specifically uh, speaks of what I would call an eschatological timeline or future events. That's what that means. So in, in certain texts of the Bible, Revelation being one of them, we see things to come. Uh, so Peter addresses that, and I'm going to address it the way Peter does, which may be, it may fall short for you in one sense that you're like, no, I want more, and, and I, I, I want to believe this system of what's going to happen. And basically you see the, fa I call it now Facebook theology, right? People that copy and paste these like excerpts on Facebook that they think is like really good theology, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like, I believe this is going to happen. And it's like this chronological order, and it's like, okay, all right. Look, I believe what the Bible says. <laughs> Just because it's on a Facebook wall doesn't mean it's right. Can, can we track with that a little bit? You know what I mean? Uh, so anyway, Peter's going to address some of those things in chapter 3. And so I'll go where he goes. I won't go where he doesn't go. 
and, and that'll be it. So there's, that's, that's what the next three weeks are going to look like. I'm going to spend a, a pretty good amount of time, and I'm aware of the time. We have a baptism today. Amen. Someone getting in the water. I'm pumped about that. Uh, and then we'll have a small little conversation at the end of service after baptism. But uh, I have a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to cut short a little bit the beginning. But this, is, this sermon is mostly introduction uh, for, for a reason. And I'm going to try to identify what I think is a huge issue in the church, a huge issue today. And I'll say this, I think it was a big issue during Jesus' time uh, because he addressed it, uh, maybe more than anything. Um, so uh, we're going we're gonna to dig in today, and there's going to be some theology. Are, are, you go, are you okay with that? There, there's going to be some biblical concepts. Listen, here, here's my thing. Like, pastors can't just be motivational speakers. It is the word of God. It is the truth of God. It is what we call doctrine, right? In all, in all of that, there is, there's profit as we labor in the word of God. But if it's just a story or a motivation and we miss the truth, we miss the intangible word of God that will literally transcend in our hearts, then we've missed the boat. So it's going to be both. I have a little illustration up here. Uh, but ultimately, you're going to have to labor in your mind this morning. You're going you're to have to labor in your heart with and wrestle with some of the things I'm going to tell you. What I'm going to tell you, it's no, it, it's no happenstance that Peter addresses false teachers in chapter 2. Because you're going to see when I describe this to you, the way that Peter and Paul are on the same page. When I read some support text and build this case, if you will, you're going to see that not every religion accepts this. And that's why I always say this, this may seem a little harsh, but religion sends people to hell, right? All religion means is good works. So if we're fashioning a system that just creates good works and it avoids our good God, we've missed the boat. So this isn't about religion, it's about relationship. So uh, there's going to be, I'm going to surround this topic, this thought of what good looks like this morning, and I'm going to facilitate it and anchor it into the foundation of what one word, which is called justification this morning. Okay? Uh, so let's jump in. First things first, he, he really kicks it off with a greeting, which is typical in any book. So take your Bibles. Look, if you have the program, uh, it's there. Those few verses are not, but I'll read them to you. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Let me read the first two verses. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith, what is that next word? Equal. Equal. I love this. To those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here's what I see right out the gate. He's saying to those of you, I would say Gentiles, that have received a faith equal. This man is a changed man. This man, he comes, he comes by way of a letter and he says, listen, if you're in the church body, if you're a believer, if you have put your enduring loyalty in Jesus Christ, your faith is equal to mine. Oh my goodness gracious. We, we cannot overstate that. Jesus chose a, a people group in time to reveal himself, Yahweh, to the world. And who, who is that people group? Israel. 
He chose the Jewish people to reveal himself, but that was not the end. He said, Father Abraham, you will not only be the father of that nation, you will be the father of many nations. And we see the Lord taking Peter to the end of his life to say, listen, if you have received the faith and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your faith is equal to my faith. My goodness. It it will solve, the gospel solves the racial tension in this society. We're, We're trying to solve it with the wrong things. Equality is found at the foot of the cross. Equality goes out not just to one nation, but to every nation. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The Lord is concerned with every tribe, every tongue. And Peter finally reaching to the end of his ministry, he says, hey, guess what? Here's my greeting to you. We're equal. Man, that's, that's a powerful greeting. How do we greet each other? I just had that first thought in terms of like, uh, and there's some more stuff in the program. I may skip over some things. But my thought is like, how do we greet? You know, I was talking to the 9 o'clock crowd this morning. I was like, do you remember those? Was it in the 90s? No one gave me confirmation on this. Was it in the 90s, those Budweiser commercials where it was like, what the? Was it the 90s? It was the 90s. It was like, And then we, we got on the fact that it was like, some, you know, you guys got to show me, you young folks on the TikTok, where, what, what a good, cool greeting is now. I have no idea. I just say, hi, hello, God bless you, good to see you. But, but how do we greet people? You know what I mean? Like, how, how do we greet people today? Listen to how Peter, listen to his greeting. Simon Peter, a servant. Are we greeting each other by serving one another? Are we there for one another? Is our greeting with an intention to, to get something from someone or to be a servant to someone? Look, this, we could, we could literally preach the whole message just on his greeting. We're there to serve others in our greeting. To, the, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Here it is, watch this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here's how Peter greeted. He was concerned with their relationship with Jesus. Here, here's, I'm really just diving in, in this chapter, to what makes us spiritual believers. What makes us a house that the Lord lives in? And part of that is this. When, when Peter greeted, he had reached this place in his life that he fully understood. You know what really matters? That grace and peace is multiplied in your heart. When we talk to each other as believers, it shouldn't be, hey, how's your job going? I'm, and I'm not saying, you know, you can't have that conversation. Don't. I'm saying the first thing on our mind when we talk to each other should be, I, I pray that the Lord's multiplying the gospel in your life. It's okay to say that. Man, I don't want to be some kind of holy roller. Always talking about Jesus. Maybe we need a little bit more of that. Maybe your coworkers need to hear you talking on the phone. You know, I, I pray that the Lord's grace is there in your life. Let's not shy away from greeting each other in, in the grace and mercy of the Lord. How many know? I forgot to put the blinds up today. Sorry, Mel, if you're watching online, but it doesn't affect you because they're shut. I would have them up if you were here. Uh, it's a little dark. Uh, but I just think, like, we, if we're going to be believers, then we might as well be Christians. If we're going to be Christians, we might as well talk like it. If the world has their, and when I say the world, people who don't know Jesus have their way of communicating, then the church should have our way of communicating. 
And it's to help those who are not in the church. Grace and peace, what, what does that mean? It literally means that Peter's saying, this is what matters. You talk and you greet people with what really matters. And when someone knows that you care about their spiritual intimacy with God, that's like another, that's another love. That was free. Anyway, I just saw that right out of the gate. I thought that's really, really good. Here's, here's what he says here. And this is really uh, integral to our mission statement, which is on our website, knowing, serving, and praying. Let's look at Peter's words here. Uh, in chapter, let's go to, uh, let's just read verse 3. We'll read verse 3, and I think we'll pull up there. He's talking about growing in their faith. His divine power, may grace and peace be multiplied through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by who? His own glory and goodness. Let's just read verse 4. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of the evil desire. Here's what I'm seeing. The knowledge of Jesus and promise from Jesus are both at play and mentioned here in the text. Did you catch it? Verse four and five, he says, what I'm after, what I'm, the context of what I'm coming to you in, verse four, is required. You have everything that is required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. Not just that, he has given us promises. Do you see it? You have everything that you need. Here, here, here's a question. What does it mean to know God? The knowledge of Jesus. Paul would say that I may know him, Greek word gnosko, more of an experience. So let me ask you, do you know God? We're coming off of 1 Peter where the theme is suffering. Look, when life puts its pressure on you, when you get the phone call of that health problem that's devastating, when the corruption of life, because we're in a sinful world, when you feel the weight of it, what is the knowledge of God on your mind? What do you think of God? And here's what I would say. Like, when you talk about, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, a lot of people just say to me, oh, I know the Lord. Do you know what I mean? Have anybody heard someone say that? Oh, I know the Lord. And then it's usually followed up if it's a dude. Yeah, me and the big man upstairs, we're good. And when people say that, I'm like, okay, all right. I'm so glad you're good with him, the big man upstairs. But this is like a, a thing. To, I know God. Even, even people that are living, this is an illustration, but it also serves to take a break. Even, even people, like when they're doing things that they know they shouldn't do, it's like, oh, I know. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know the Lord. Me and him, we're good. I'll get it right. That's like the context in our society. And, and really what it is is like we are a Christian nation founded on biblical principle. Here we are a few hundred years later. We're reaping the benefits of someone else's relationship with the Lord. And because of that, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm Christian. <laughs> Eastern Christmas, gotcha. See you there. <laughs> I'll be there, Pastor. But, it, but it's like, Oh, I know the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Is that what Peter is saying? Is the knowledge that Peter is saying of Jesus Christ the same knowledge when people say, I know the Lord? Let me help you with something. Matthew chapter 7. Here's where my concern lies. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess, Jesus says to them, then will I profess, I never, what, knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So more than people not knowing him, in the gospel, Jesus addresses people that are doing things in his name, but they don't know him. Here's what I'm saying. Just because good works are present doesn't mean they know the Lord. Just because someone is professing, putting out a life, doesn't mean that that is their life. Peter is going to draw a hard line of who are effective in the word and in their knowledge of the Lord and who aren't. And here's what I'm saying to you. I believe this is a huge challenge in the church today. How many times did Jesus address the Pharisees in his ministry? And over and over. Why? Because they were professing to be spiritual. I want to release you today. I want to release you today with an incredible doctrinal truth that hopefully will help you steer clear of being a Pharisee. Steer clear of being a hypocrite and live a good life from the place that it was designed to be lived. But we have to first understand that Peter is saying, my goal here in this book is that you know the Lord. And, and Jesus himself said, listen, there are people that say they know me. There are people that it looks like on the outside that they say they know me. But guess what? They don't know me from a hole in the ground. They don't. All of us should have a healthy fear in the pit of our stomachs after reading a verse like that. I had an experience. I mean, it has to be real. I cast out, I mean, shoot, if I cast out a demon, anybody got a demon in here? Let's try it. I'm, I'm just saying, being stupid, but my point is, is like, if you do something like that, and you're like, yes, me and him, I know him. It's not the case. That is not the litmus test. That's not the qualifying factor. Your good deeds are not a qualifying factor. Here we go. Now, now you see where I'm coming from. Listen. We have to focus in here. There are those that quantify their relationship with the Lord by the things that they do for the Lord. And that is not the message of the gospel. You cannot, and we have new believers in here a lot, like soak this in. This is the truth of the gospel. You cannot quantify your relationship with God by the things that you do for God. It's a mistake. It's, it, it's a miss. I greet you with this message. Peter says this, I want your life to reflect that you know Jesus. I want that. I want that reflection. The knowledge of Jesus is what's going to be multiplied. Not addition. Multiplication in your life. Verses 3 and 4. His divine power 
Listen, right there in our text, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything that is required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. For by these things he has given us a very great and precious promise so that through them, Not through you or through your, through them, you may share in the divine nature. We are not here trying to glorify our natural state in what we can do in our natural state. I am trying to be translated to a supernatural state and perform supernatural. And you know what that means? It means that I need him to do it through because I'm not supernatural. As much as I love that new Falcon and Winter Soldier series, I want the shield, you know what I mean. That is some stuff. But it is not that way. It is him. Here's here's what I see here. There is nothing. Some of y'all need to, if if this is the only thing you get out of the message today, this will be worth it. It'll be worth coming. It's worth the gas money. Right here. You ready? Here it is. There is nothing that you lack in your relationship with the Lord because it's not about us. It's about him and his glory. That's what Peter is saying right out of the gate. He's saying, guess what? You don't lack anything. Wait a minute. Yes, I do. I just, I have such a hard time in my marriage. I have such a hard time in my areas of service. If I just knew how to do this, if I could just get that concept, if I had more of that in here, I would be good. The first thing you need to realize is that you don't lack anything to have a really good relationship with the Lord. Because it's not on you, it's all on him. So therefore, when we struggle, it is not on what? His end, it's on ours. It's because we are flipping the script. We are saying we need to do this instead of he is gonna do that. This concept is very simple, but it is very vital, very vital. Let me say it again. You, I can have a Holy Ghost fit on this point for the rest of the message. You don't lack anything. If I just had, no. If I just got that new job, Paul, I've learned in whatsoever, my wife and I, we've been talking about this a lot in our time together, but I've learned in whatsoever state I am, Paul said, therewith to be content. I know how to have it and I know how to not have it. The haves and the have-nots. It ain't about having it and having not. I know how to abase and how to abound. The the point is this. You don't need anything to thrive in your relationship with the Lord. You don't. Don't let the devil lie to you. The devil is a liar. He's going to come in your ear and say, when you get that promotion, you're going to have more time to read that Bible. (laughs) No, you're not. Listen, if you made a little bit more money, your marriage wouldn't be that bad. It's going to get worse. (laughs) Yeah. That's just a mirror. More money? You want a bigger mirror on what's already there? And this is the problem. It's like, I, and when I, Sarah and I, when we talk with couples and we try to help folks in their spiritual walk, life is only a bigger mirror of what's actually there. Like we're seeking those things and those things are literally what are revealing to us what's actually there. And so the point is, is you don't need anything else. You got what you need to have a good relationship with the Lord. And if you don't feel that way, hang out for just a couple more minutes. Don't get up and leave, and, I'll, and I'll, you'll, you'll believe it more in a minute. A ceiling in your walk with the Lord 
will be your personal ambitions instead of his power and promises. I'm gonna say that again. A ceiling in your relationship and walk with the Lord will be your personal ambitions instead of his power and promises. Sit on that. Think about it. Where our personal ambitions come in, you just put a cap on what the Lord's gonna do in your life. You just capped it right there. That's the end of it. Think about that. If we are unable, church, if we are unable to move what we know about Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus, into what we experience with Jesus, it's because of us and not him. It's because of us and not him. Jesus has made us a promise. Now, what do you think Peter's talking about? When he says here in verse number five, I think it is, no, 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 verse number four, but these, he has given us a very great and precious promise, promises. You see that? Wouldn't you want to know? Does anybody want to know what that promise is? What's Peter talking about? What good is a promise if you don't know what, it, what they're promising? Oh, the Lord's got promises. And if I were a prosperity preacher, I would like sit on that. Okay, whatever you want, the Lord promised to give it to you. But I, I'm telling you, that's false. There are literally people preaching and teaching that. And that's a lie. That's not what Peter is talking about. He's talking about the knowledge of Jesus. Here's what he's talking about. Romans. Take your Bibles, or if you have the program, look at it. Romans chapter 5, Paul really talks about this promise. This is so good. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 through 25. This is why the promise is by what? Faith. So that it may be according to grace. Mm -hmm. to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the ones who is of the law, the Jews, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. He's saying the same thing that Peter's saying. They're on the same page, and it took a while for them to get there. A whole council in Acts chapter 15 of them arguing about this in the church. They're on, they're on the same page now. Peter's at the end of his life, and he's saying, listen, this is a promise that was for everybody. If you got this faith, you're equal. Check this out. This is the context. And here's what Paul says. I love these words. This is so good. As it is written, some of y'all need to underline this. I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead. Pause right there for a second. Let me read this to you. Peter says in our text, by these he has given us very great and precious promise, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world. That is death. He's saying, Peter's literally saying the same thing. Who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Verse 18. He believed, Abraham. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, According to what he had spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. I pause right there. The story is as such. When God called Abraham out of his land, he said, follow me, go. He's like, where are we going? Just go. It's not about where we are going. It's the fact that you are believing that I'm going to take you somewhere. Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm a hundred. 
How's that going to happen? My wife's a hundred. I mean, is this just going to magically happen? Or We're past the age. I think I'm getting past the age. Number four, holy smokes. We got to do something, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to the doctor. Let's go. That's what Abraham is saying. He's like, God, you're saying that you're going to make me a father of many nations and I'm a hundred. And I, I don't have a son yet from my wife, Sarah. Her womb is barren and she's a hundred. Uh, it doesn't work. The Bible says that the promise was predicated not on the facts. Oh. But, but this gets me all happy. Literally, some of you are waiting on God to do something, but you've looked at it and you've measured it and you say, there's no way God would do that. There's no way God's going to bring a baby down this pipeline at 100. No way. And God's like, that's how I work. I work according to you believing that I can do this. Listen, if all God did, if all God did were natural things instead of supernatural, then he wouldn't be God. He would be one of us. How many of us have not reached our spiritual potential because we're waiting around for God to work in our ecosystem when God's like, just take a trip to my land of the supernatural. Just get in your spiritual car and drive. Take a trip. If, listen, literally, I, I just cannot, and I know it all ties together and it's going to tie, I hit myself really hard just then. Boom, boom, anyway. The, the point is this. We're looking for a miracle in the land of the ordinary. Why? It's ordinary for a reason. God, God said Abraham didn't, it didn't matter the circumstances. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 20. He didn't waver in unbelief at God's promise, but, ooh, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to who? God. God is looking for you to step out so that he can get glory. God doesn't get glory in your Keurig making coffee in the morning. The Keurig is supposed to make coffee in the morning. Pete, women are supposed to have babies. But when a 100-year-old woman has a baby, shoot, plenty of glory there. This is where our faith came from, from people that, that asked God and sought God to do the extraordinary. Look at it. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to do. <laughs> therefore, therefore, the reason why Abraham was saved, the reason why Abraham was chosen is because he believed that God was able to do it. And he put his faith and trust and acted on it and look at it. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also 24 for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus the Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There's the word. Justification is a legal term. You are in a courtroom standing trial for all that you have done wrong. The accuser is Satan, the Satan, the, it means accuser. And he looks at your life and he says, ha ha, 
He did this. He did that. He did this. He did that. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Of course we've sinned. But when we choose to believe and put our enduring loyalty in Jesus, <laughs> without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why he died. He bore on the cross our sins and our sorrows. He became the man of sorrow. Here's the doctrine. The judge declares you righteous just as if you've never sinned. That's justification. Abraham was not saved. He, the Bible says that it was accounted. It was credited to him for righteousness because of his faith. His faith was because he believed that God would do what he could not do. Why is this important, Pastor Matt? Kind of struggling to connect the dots. Peter is focused on the promise. Before Peter ever gets to what good looks like, before Peter ever says, hey, you need to live a good life, boys and girls, he says, understand where that good life comes from. If it were up to you, if you were to be lost in your sin without a savior, all of your good deeds are, guess what? Filthy rags. The problem with hypocrisy in the church is that the church does not put the work of Jesus first. They put their works out there as if it is a manifestation of something that happens inward. And the problem is, is we fall in love with ourselves instead of falling in love with the God that produces the good works. Abraham, righteousness was accounted. It was attributed, accounting terms. He was, Jesus' righteousness, the doctrine of imputation, was delivered into the account of Abraham. Abraham received the righteousness of God. The reason why, and this is the doctrine piece, the reason why the Holy Spirit is able to come into our hearts is because Jesus' blood is covering our sin. Do you, think the, do you think the Holy Spirit could indwell a sinful temple? No. The justification, being made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice, when you declare your loyalty to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit says, I'll come. Because he paid for the very thing that is keeping me from you. Out of that truth is a promise. Whoa, 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 not the other way around. It is killing the church. It is disrupting the church that we preach. Just live a good life. The Lord will take care of everything. Just be a good person. Everything will work to your favor. That is garbage. It is, it is wrong and it is demonic at its root. Why? Because if Satan can get you worrying about doing good, instead of worrying why you're able to do good, then he wins. If he can get people in the church focused on being the church without the reason why the church exists, then he's got a perfect cyclone. Many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, I've prophesied. I've done many wondrous works in thy name. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The promise is in the belief. The promise is in the justification by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was attributed, accounted to him for righteousness. When we talk about good works in this church, it is from the place where Jesus performs works in us. Paul put it this way, Philippians 1.6, he that hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord is ready and willing I put, the, I put this out there this week. 
Don't let the enemy corner you with a possibility when Jesus released you with a promise. The life that Jesus will lead you to live, the end result is a promise of salvation. The devil will suggest to you that if you are a good person, that that good will lead to good things. That's a possibility. Jesus gave you a promise. One is a liar, one is the truth. One gave his life for the church, one will give nothing. He will only take from you. That's it. Let, why don't we just talk about being good people in the church? Well, we first have to talk about how we're able to be a good person. If you, if you are the person to say, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, you're not reconciling the doctrine in this book. You would say it this way, anything good in me comes from the Lord. The Lord saved me, I'm a sinner. I'm fallen, I make mistakes. Even the best of the best is the worst of the worst. If we don't see ourselves as equal in the gospel, then we are putting ourselves in a place that is unsalvageable, unbelief. You understand what I'm saying? This is a, a, a bedrock foundational principle of scripture and this is what Peter was talking about. The promise is your faith by grace. Why is it by grace? You don't deserve it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith. But I just wanna know. I, I just, I wanna know what's next. Part of this journey is submitting that to the Lord. His ways are what? Not our ways. <laughs> Man, he's thrown us some curveballs, hasn't he? But that's what faith is. I don't see it, but I believe it. Think about the alternative. All right, we got to land here. We got to land. This is probably one of the coolest things. I, I saw this this week, and I was like, ooh, I like that. That's, that's the doctrine. We covered the doctrine. Let me give you some practical. Can I give you just a practical thing, the practical application piece here in about five minutes? Let's look here. Let's look at this. Paul says it this way. Just some support here. So then does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited for righteousness? God's gonna give it to you because of your belief. Our faith, our belief, our declaration of loyalty is what triggers our justification. Now watch this. Right there in our text, look at this. Don't miss this. First, Second Peter 1, verse four and five. Verse five says this. For this Reason, what reason? The reason of the promise. <laughs> Verse five, for, for this reason, make every effort, here's the word, to supplement your faith. To supplement, what, what is that word there? Here's the word, the Greek word is epicurio. I'm sure I'm trashing that pronunciation, but that's, that's what, I, what I got out of it. Epicurio, here's what it means. This is, this is so good. Aorist tense, active, it, it means to supply or provide, to give something useful or necessary to someone. Watch this, to furnish. It means to furnish. Here's what Peter is saying. Verse number five, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. What does he say to supplement it with? Watch it. 
goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being what? Useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind, short-sighted, and has forgotten the cleansing from the past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. The alternative, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never what? Knew you. This way, it will be richly what? Provided. What's the difference? What's the difference? It will be richly provided. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established. Peter said, what I'm saying, I'm going to continue to remind you, even though you're established in this truth. Verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, he's getting ready to die, as the Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made it clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Let, let's land this thought here. Peter said the promise is through Jesus. You're a chosen generation, but according to his promise, Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness. The problem is, is the church as a whole, you take that list of things, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, brotherly affection, and love, and we make those the promise. We say, if I'm a good person, I will have eternal life. Paul said that is supplemental. The word is furnishing. Here's what I'm saying. As a Christian, we cannot put our faith in our goodness. Our goodness is a supplemental action to our faith. Do not make what is supplemental the main attraction. It is not about, why do I struggle living a good life? Why do I struggle doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing? Are they supplemental? I didn't say incidental. <laughs> It is important. Why? Because Peter says those are the things that God can use. But according to his promise, according to the fact that God has saved you and redeemed you and planted your feet and established your goings, can you be a good person? Living a good life out of your place of justification, out of, watch this, your promise. Your goodness, <laughs> your salvation is not predicated on your goodness. Your salvation is only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Peter uses this word, epicureo, to say, listen, it is supplemental. It is to furnish, to furnish. Peter is saying, if you, if you are saved and the Lord has made you new, right? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? They use that analogy, Remember, they furnished the temple. They furnished it. But it was about the presence of God that fell upon it that was really what mattered, right? 
let's take this thought, what does good look like? What does good look like? He builds this list of things, right, in the scripture there. And I was thinking back to when we first got married, babe. And we lived at 7819 Lockwood in Charlesmont in Dundalk. I miss that neighborhood. Even though it's, it's not what it was when we originally moved in. Uh, but it was good, man. We, we, we lived there, I, I don't know, seven, eight years. Probably owned it for nine or ten. But when we first moved in, this was our furniture. <laughs> I'm not lying. Am I lying? This was our furniture. We went to Walmart and we bought an air mattress. This is how we met the Westbrooks and the Lauks. Y'all live, what was it, Wallace? No, 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 no. Wallace? They lived on Wallace. They lived on Lockwood. I mean, we were all like right there. We were all neighbors. And uh, when we first moved in, it was like a, a Baltimore hun that lived in there. I mean, her hair, she had a beehive this tall. And she sit in there and she just all day long, hi, hey, hon, welcome to Dundalk. <laughs> How many times, we painted those walls a bazillion times, and they always had a shade of yellow to every color. We had to think when we were at Home Depot buying paint, what's this going to look like with a shade of yellow coming through? I had to, like, get custom color match, you know, because, yeah, <laughs> it's funny, man. <laughs> it's funny. Funny stuff. This, this, is, this is all we had. We went to Walmart. We bought an air mattress, and we slept on that air mattress for six months. <laughs> We're knuckleheads. But what is it? Living on love, buying on time. Anyway, that was it. This was our furniture. You know what? And we saved, and we scrapped, and we renovated. We renovated while we lived in it, while we had children's. <laughs> Thank the Lord for a faithful woman that puts up with my craziness. And then our next house, it was a dump too. But it was a bigger dump. And we, and we had more stuff. More stuff. Furnished. And, if, and now, the chairs in our house look a little bit more like this one. This is kind of what our furnishings look like and feel like. But you know what? I can appreciate every step of the way. I can appreciate the times when it was, and look, we're, we hold on to things like this. Things come and go. The point of the illustration is Peter is saying, your salvation is not predicated on your furnishings. Your response, your part in this plan of the Lord is for you to furnish the house that the Lord has built. What do we bring to the table? Our goodness. What is our goodness? What the Lord makes us to be what we're able to love now that he has given us a new house. Paul said, I renew, it's the same word like painting. I renew the inward man every day. The thing is, is I believe that if the church realizes what Jesus did for them, we'll bring our best to the Lord. And here's my point to you this morning. Your best may be this right now. Maybe you just need to learn how to not get so angry and mad in a conversation. When I first, <laughs> I look back when we were first married and when I was first in ministry, I'm not where I am now. This is when I first started in ministry and this is where I'm at now, literally. This is my chair from my office. <laughs> it, 
I, I have the ability now to kind of sit in things, walk through difficult times, challenging times, perceive, pray, work through things. My spiritual house, the goodness that the Lord has given me and enabled me to be, comes from my furnishing a work that he began and that he is doing within me. Listen, today, you, you may be here. Don't despise it. Just grow in it. Here's, the, here's why. Here's why it's so crucial. This is pharisaical to put this in its place first when you're really that. Bethlehem should be a place where people from egg cartons, oof, maybe not, ooh. Bethlehem should be a place where someone's spiritual house and interior decorating, where we're sitting on milk cartons, it should be, it should be okay. People should be able to be here in our midst when this is what their furniture looks like, physically and spiritually. Because ultimately over time, we see Peter's growth in his own letter. We'll get here. But here's my warning. If you start here, the road to hell is paved with people who put this first. Look at my beautiful furniture in my pretty walk with the Lord when they never started with what the Lord gave them. I think many relationships, if not all relationships, should start from a place of humility and then grow in the Lord and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here's what Peter is saying. Resourceful qualities are useful. He said this in verse number nine. He said this, he said, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing of their sins from the past. Here's what I'm gonna say to you, church. Remember what God forgets this morning. God doesn't remember my sin. God doesn't remember the things that I've done. He forgets them. He paid for them. That doesn't mean you shouldn't remember. Are you saying focus on my sin? I'm saying focus on what he, what he did for you. We have forgotten where we come from. Therefore, we're skipping the process. Look at me. Look at me. No. Many will say unto me, I'm trying to get this right as a leader, as a pastor. I'm trying to walk you through how to do good works. It's a process. Bring your resourceful character traits that the Lord is redeeming in you. Bring them to the surface. I'm not saying don't, be, don't change things that the Lord changes you. What's another helpful way? A practical thing is remember where you came from. Remember that you are a sinner. He ends the book. I don't have any more time, I have to say it. He ends the book with saying how amazing the word of God is. And he said, don't forget that the word of God was given to you by men that were moved of the Holy Ghost. And I'll say this to you. It's, it's threefold. Resourceful qualities are useful. Remember what God forgets, but read the word of God and be carried away by the spirit of God. That's how we can begin to live a good life within the promise. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Man, I'm thankful for this first chapter. There's a lot. There is a lot in there. A lot going on. Let's not be a church that is overly concerned with our outward deeds. 
Let's let the work of the Lord, the promise of the Lord, our salvation, what he has given to us, let's let that grow in our lives. Here's my question to you this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.